Oh, I'm so glad you all are here. It's so good to see this room so full and I can... Well, I see some of your smiles. Some of you look quite judgy right now, to be honest. I'm a little concerned. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Isn't it so fun to to finally rediscover that a lot of people do, in fact, have the bottom half of their faces attached? Noses, chins, mouths, they're real. It's so good to see you all, whether you're in this room or whether you're worshiping with us online. My name's John. I'm one of the pastors here. And this week, while I was sort of working on and prepping this sermon... I kind of offhandedly asked Erin, my wife, I just sort of was passing her in the house and I I threw her that question that Fabi just asked you. I said, hey, Erin, is there anything in your life right now that kind of feels harder than it should be? And to my surprise, she rattled off an extensive list of things right off the top of her head, many of which I found incredibly relatable. And I thought, hmm, maybe you all will as well. And so here is a list of Aaron's things that are harder than they should be right now. Being a mom, I mean, come on, uh, making doctor's appointments, eating healthy, working out, sleep. She said it in all caps. She said it in all caps. Uh, Remembering to floss, drinking enough water, not ordering DoorDash every night, wearing actual clothes every day, making any sort of plans with friends, keeping my inbox at zero, and then this one's my favorite, iced coffee at home, like Starbucks does it, you know? (laughs) Clearly, you can tell we are in a very, very specific season of life in our household right now. And... While you might not be in that season, maybe your answer is one of those, maybe it's something different, but I'm guessing you probably have something in your life that feels like this, something that looks or seems like it should be really easy and simple, but then you actually try and do it, and you realize it is far more complicated maybe than you thought it was. I think we probably all have something like this, especially over the last two years. I mean, have you noticed how during a pandemic, everything just seems harder? Like doing the most simple thing all of a sudden seems really, really difficult. Like like some of you are on the dating scene right now. God bless you. Because, listen, dating was hard enough before a pandemic. Now, I imagine it's even harder. Because now, instead of just focusing and just trying to figure out like, hey, am I, you know, emotionally and spiritually and physically compatible with this person? Now, in addition to that, you have to compare vax cards as well. That's an odd first date thing to do. Or how about this? Anyone try or, to buy or sell a house recently? Okay, Aaron and I, yeah, absolutely. Aaron and I were incredibly, incredibly blessed because in the last year, we were able to buy a home. We're really, really lucky. But when we were in the market, let me tell you, when you're on Zillow or when you're watching the Redfin commercial, they make it seem so simple. They make it seem almost pleasant. But then you actually show up to the open houses and you find out that four other people have already offered $100,000 over the asking price in cash plus their firstborn. (laughs) How am I supposed to compete with that? That's actually why Aaron and I decided to get pregnant so that we could have more leverage in those. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We love our daughter. We were able to keep her and get the house too. Um, But I mean, there's probably something that feels that way. These things that maybe used to feel really simple now, if they're just a little bit more difficult, you know, whether, whether it's a lot of the first world privileges that many of us enjoy, like ordering an Uber used to be a little bit more simple, making and keeping a reservation at a restaurant, or, or whether it's the things that are far less frivolous and far more integral to our mental and relational and emotional health. Things like making plans with family or friends to get together. It's a little bit more complicated than it used to be. 
or, or finding and receiving good, affordable, quality care from a doctor. So many things, especially now, that once felt basic for many of us, now feel incredibly burdensome. And I imagine that on, or at least maybe even near the top of that list for a lot of us, I imagine something that shows up is church. I mean, church, I'll be honest, feels kind of complicated in our world today. And it didn't always, at least on the surface, feel that way. Church used to be a lot more simple. For, for many decades in the 20th century here in the U.S., church was kind of a baseline expectation for people. For a lot of our parents and grandparents, church was just what they did. It, it was sort of accepted. That's what you do. And that has become less so over the generations as our culture has shifted and changed. But in the last few years specifically, we're actually seeing statistic after statistic that show an ever-growing complication and tension that people are having in their relationship to church. There was one study that I found from Barna that showed that in 2009, 48% of U.S. adults attended church weekly. That's nearly half. By 2020, that number had dropped to 29%. Now, I know what you're thinking, but that 29% was measured before the COVID lockdown. That number's even lower now. Then in the last year, as a lot of in-person gatherings like this started to open up again, most churches reopened at just 36% of the attendance that they were experiencing pre-pandemic. But let's not take the easy route because... We can't just blame all of this on COVID. We can't make COVID the scapegoat for all of this because there's other statistics that show many other reasons for why people are fleeing the church. One study I found this week said that Christians who experience doubts, Christians who experience questions about their faith, only 22% of them feel comfortable bringing those questions to the church. That's Christians. That's not even people who don't believe. These are insiders who don't feel comfortable bringing their questions to this place. Inversely, a recent study showed that 77% of adults view pastors or church leaders as either somewhat or very untrustworthy. I took that as a personal attack. No, but that, that's a sobering number. All of these numbers, they're, they're hard to look at. And it's not hard to imagine how statistics like this can at least in part be attributed to much of the behavior that we have seen from so many church people recently. Whether it's news stories or podcasts about corruption among church leadership, whether it's the part that things like Christian nationalism has played in things like the insurrection of January 2021, maybe it's just the downright annoyance of Christians bickering with one another and with you online unasked for. Maybe you feel church got a little more complicated when you realized, hey, I don't feel like the church actually talks about things that are going on in the world enough. Or maybe it was the exact opposite. It got complicated when you're like, why is it that the church only talks about things that are going on in the world? Whatever it is, it could be any number of things, but the stats show that for one reason or another, whether it's in the last two years or the last 10 years, so many of us have started asking the question, is church worth the search? Like, is it even worth it to figure out how church can fit into my life, into our world today? What church is the right church for me? And how do I figure that out? Are the benefits of church, do they actually outweigh some of the difficulties or some of the frustrations or some of the imperfections that I experience there? 
And so for the next three weeks, we're going to be walking through this series that's called The Search for Church, where we're going to be asking those questions. Is church, is it still worth it for us? And what is it that we're actually searching for when we show up? Now, I just want to make one disclaimer right here from the top, a confession. I am a pastor. My very job title tells you where I fall on this debate. But part of the reason why I'm even in this work is because even in the face of all the stuff we just talked about, even in the face of all of that, I still believe in God's vision for the church. And at the same time, I still struggle with a lot of those questions. I still face a lot of those same tensions every single day. And so what we want to do in this series is we want to create space for all of us to wrestle with those questions and those tensions together. I want to figure out what might it look like for us to be the church here and now in our day and figure out do we want to be a part of that. And so today, as we're kicking off our first step on our search for church, we're going to be discussing God's original design and intention and hope for the church. And obviously, that is a pretty massive topic with history as old as the universe itself. But before you all start getting nervous that this sermon is going to be three hours long, I want you to know my, my goal here is actually quite simple. My goal is to sort of give us a foundational understanding today of what the church is and was meant to be. And in order to do that, I want to just give us four key characteristics of church, four things that define what church is. I want to show us how those characteristics are founded and developed all throughout the scriptures, and even talk a little bit about how we live them out today. So if you are in this room, look under the seat in front of you, you will find a Bible. That's going to be really important to grab one of those today because we're going to be moving around a little bit. You can grab a Bible underneath your seat or the seat in front of you and turn it to Matthew chapter four. That's on page 785 if you're in the Soul City Bible. If you're worshiping with us online, go ahead, grab your own Bible, turn to Matthew chapter four. So I'm going to warn you before we dive in. We're going to be doing some flipping around today. So, you know, get your fingers ready to go. We're going to be going backwards. We're going to be going forwards. We're going to be going to the beginning, all the way to the end of the Bible. Because one of the things that is really cool about this book is if you zoom out from just reading one specific text at a time, and if you read multiple texts sort of next to each other, you start to notice different themes or different through lines pop up between the texts. And that's true for these four themes or characteristics of church that we're going to look at. These things are actually woven all throughout this entire book. But we're going to start in Jesus's ministry in Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. I will read, get ready to shout some stuff out when I tell you. Matthew 4, 18 says, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. What did Jesus say? Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. So the first foundational characteristic of church we're going to talk about today, the church is a place to come. Now, I already know what some of you are thinking. That little critic in your head is like, actually, John, technically, if you read the passage closely, Jesus was not inviting them to church. 
And that is somewhat true. No, Jesus here is not inviting them to a physical building on a Sunday morning for an 11 a.m. service. What he is doing, that is what we have come to call church, by the way. What Jesus is actually doing here is he is inviting them to come and join the people of God. And that is the Bible's definition of church. There's a really old, still very true adage that you may have heard before. It goes like this. The church is not a building, it's people. Church, at its most fundamental level, is the people of God coming together. In this way, the essence of church actually predates the institution of church. Because all throughout the Bible, we see story after story of God gathering his people to come together. We see that in the Old Testament, primarily through the nation of Israel, God's chosen people. We just saw Jesus' invitation to his disciples to come. Later on in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, when writing to some of the early church leaders, he wrote to them and encouraged them with these words, do not give up meeting together. Don't give up on coming together as some are in the habit of doing. You see, since the very, very beginning, it has been foundational and fundamental for the people of God to come together like this, to gather, to be in one another's presence and to be in the presence of God. And as much as we just talked about all the statistics around, you know, declining attendance and a global pandemic, which certainly has complicated this a little bit, as much as we just talked about that, Many modern Christians actually have a pretty fair grasp on this characteristic. I mean, obviously, look at you. You came here. You did it. Well done. That's actually not the issue. The issue, I think, is this is where many of us stop. Like in the modern West, a lot of us, we have minimized church to nothing more than a Sunday event to come to. And while I am so glad that so many of you, I'm so glad this room is so full, I'm so glad you decided to carve out this time to come and to be here, that is awesome. I also want you to know that God's vision for the church is so much bigger and so much greater than one gathering once a week. To understand the church as a place to come, that is an important characteristic, but it is not the only characteristic. So, to find out the next ones. Let's turn in our Bibles a few pages to the right to Matthew chapter 10. Just flip a few pages, Matthew chapter 10. We're gonna continue walking through these key characteristics of church by starting by looking at how they show up in the ministry of Jesus. And then like we just did, we'll kind of zoom out from there. So Matthew chapter 10, I'll start reading in verse one. You get ready to shout out. Jesus called his, how many? 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. So we have church as a place to come. The second key characteristic of church is the church is meant to be a place to connect. Now, there are many reasons why Jesus called 12 disciples, chief among them being that Jesus is calling back to the 12 tribes of Israel and saying God is now doing a new thing. He is recreating his people in and through Jesus. 
But even beyond the sort of callback to the 12 tribes of Israel, I think one of the other reasons Jesus called 12 disciples together rather than just a bunch of different disciples individually is the fundamental truth that humans were created for connection. Humans were created to live in relationship. Again, we see this from the very first pages of the Bible, where in Genesis 2, 18, God says, it is not good for man, it is not good for humans to be alone. Humans need connection with one another. And once again, go through the entire book, and what you will see is God consistently, in story after story, calling his people out of separation and into connection, out of isolation and into community. That's why the Apostle Paul consistently referred to the members of the churches that he was writing to. He would write to them as dear brother, dear sister. He was describing this close, deep, personal, familial connection that existed in the people of God. Listen, life with God, it was never meant to be a solo endeavor. But in our individualistic culture, it can be really easy for us to miss the communal nature that is foundational to church. It can be really easy to miss that you and I, we belong to one another. I remember the first time that I really got this. It was a full decade into my journey with church. It was at the church that I attended in college. And I joined this Thursday morning men's group. It was just eight of us guys. We met at 7 a.m. every Thursday at a coffee house in Pittsburgh to talk about our lives, to talk about God. And before joining that group, I was a regular faithful attender of that church. I was in the habit of coming every single Sunday. But I felt totally anonymous there. I would walk into service. I would walk out. I wouldn't really talk to anyone. I didn't know anybody. I wasn't known by anyone else. But it was by taking that little risk, by signing up for that group, That's when I discovered that church was not just a place where I could come and know God. Church was actually a place where I could come and be known by others, which ultimately only helped me to know God more. It was a place that I could have relationship. It was a place where I could grow with people and be encouraged by them and be loved by them. So church, it's not just a place to come. It is a place to come, but it's not only that. It's also a place to connect. Now, I'm going to give your fingers a little break here. You're welcome, because we don't have to turn anywhere. The next characteristic is actually baked right into the beginning of Matthew chapter 10 that we just read. Maybe you caught it. If you didn't, don't worry. I got you. We're going to read it again. Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. says, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Now, quick pop quiz. Who is the primary person that drives out evil and heals sickness and disease? Who's the primary person that does that in the Gospels? Jesus. So do you see what's happening here? Not only does Jesus call his disciples to come and connect with one another and live in relationship, but Jesus actually wants them to contribute to the ministry that he is doing. And that's the third characteristic of church that I want to talk about. The church is a place to contribute. The church is not simply meant to be a place where we come and we receive. It's also a place where we're called to bring and offer whatever it is we have. And it shouldn't surprise you that this concept, like all the others, goes all the way back to the beginning. 
right after God creates humans in Genesis chapter one, in verse 28, God says this to humans. He says, be fruitful and increase in number. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over all the creatures that move along the ground. That's just a Bible way of saying, after God created the entire universe, right after that, immediately, he invites human beings to contribute to the work of caring for all that he created. And he invites humans to continue on in that work of creating themselves. That partnership with God, that idea of working with God, that is a defining theme of God's people all throughout the Bible and all throughout human history. You might be familiar with the Apostle Paul. He had a really famous metaphor that he would use to describe this. It was the metaphor of the body. If you're not familiar, he he would say this, hey, just like your physical body, just like my body has all these different parts to it, and every part of my body has a part to play in the health of my whole body, The church is kind of like a body and that you and I, we all have a part to play. We all have something to contribute so that the whole thing can be stronger and better and more effective at doing the work of God in the world. Now, the two primary ways that this happens, the two primary ways that we contribute in the modern church are through serving and through giving. Those volunteers that you all gave a wonderful round of applause for as they came down to receive the offering, the ones who welcomed you in, the ones who helped you find a seat in this very crowded auditorium, the ones right now who are faithfully loving and leading your children over in Soul City Kids, the ones who love our community and members of our community so well in the House of Hope, the hundreds of you who faithfully and consistently give a portion of your resources here week in and week out, all of those people They are folks who grasp the importance of this characteristic. At one point or another, they sat in these seats and they said to themselves, I don't just want to come here. I'm not content to just come here and receive anymore. I actually want to contribute to the work of transformation that's happening here. The work that has been working on me, I want to be a part of it now. And before I move on, I do want to make one clarification. And I want to be really clear here because this can get a little messy sometimes. This is not about you working for or giving to the church. I wanna be really clear about that. This is much bigger. This is about God's invitation to all of us to contribute to the powerful transformative work that he is doing in the world, hopefully through the church. That's a really important distinction to make. And there's a lot of churches that either intentionally or unintentionally blur those lines and we're gonna do our best. We don't wanna be one of those churches. We're not asking you to give or serve so that you can bolster Soul City. We're asking you to join us in partnering with God to do the good work of God in the world. That's what it's about. So we have covered the church is a place to come, a place to connect, and how the church is a place where we can contribute to all that God is up to. Check in. How are we doing? Do we think we can handle one more? I hope so, because this next one is kind of the whole game. So here we go. Turn in your Bibles. Again, just a few pages to the right, Matthew chapter 16. We're just going to turn to Matthew 16. And in this passage, Jesus, he's having another conversation with his disciples. And this conversation is specifically surrounding Jesus's identity. And in verse 15, he asks them a question. He says, but what about you, disciples? He asked, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. 
Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this what? And on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now, a little Bible, nerdy, historical Bible stuff for you. Historically, there has been a lot of debate over what or who specifically Jesus is referring to in verse 18 when he says, on this rock. This question is, what is the rock that Jesus is going to build his church on? Some scholars believe that Jesus is referring to Peter here because Peter's name means rock. So that seems pretty simple. But other scholars believe that Jesus is actually referring to himself. He's referring to the truth that was just revealed here in the passage, that he is the Messiah, that he's the savior of the world. And maybe Jesus is saying that that truth, that he's the Messiah, that is the rock on which the church will be built. All of that to say, there's not really a consensus on what or who Jesus is exactly referring to here, because in classic Jesus fashion, he never clarified for us. And I actually think that's okay, because it's likely that Jesus intended multiple layers of meaning here. And as I was reading this this week, I noticed something that I hadn't seen before. And so I hope you'll forgive me for doing a little bit of speculation, but, but follow me here. In this passage, Jesus has just changed Peter's name. He's just changed his name from Simon to Peter. Meaning that Peter, in this moment, has just undergone a fundamental transformation of his identity. It's not just his name, but who Peter is, is now totally different. And right after that massive transformation, right after that, Jesus has this little bit about the rock that the church will be built on. And I just started to wonder this week if maybe Jesus was also saying that a foundational characteristic of the church, one of the cornerstones of the church, one of the rocks that the church is built on, a church non-negotiable, is that the church is a place where people change. That, that that's actually the whole game. That's what the church is. It is a place to experience transformation because over and above all else, our God is in the transformation business. Again, read this book from beginning to end, cover to cover, and you will find that God is consistently transforming the old to the new, the captive to the free, the lost to the found, death to new life. And the church doesn't actually do the transforming. The church is the stage on which the transformative power of God is meant to take place. That's why this is supposed to be a place where people get healed. That's why this is supposed to be a place where families are being restored, where people get set free from the burdens of their past and the burdens of a broken world. In other words, the church is not the church unless lives are being changed. That's why our mission here, we say it every week, is what? Leading people into a transforming relationship with Jesus. Let me be real upfront about why we're here. We want you to come. We want you to come gather with us each week. We want you to experience meaningful connection here. We want you to take part and be a participant in the work that God is doing here. But ultimately, over and above all else, we want, we long for you to experience life change here. We want you to be different because the work that God is doing in your life here. We want your relationships to be different. We want your mind to be different. We want your heart to be different. We want you to know Jesus and for your life to be shaped and transformed by his love for you. That's the whole game. And so I hope you're beginning to see 
just how wide and deep and big God's vision and desire is for the church. It is a place to come, not only to come, but also to connect, to contribute, and ultimately it's a place to change. And when I look at that, that, I mean, that's what the church is. That is what the church has been for me in my life. And when I say that, I also want you to know that the church has not been that for me without complication. The church hasn't been this for me without disappointment. My relationship with church, probably like yours, it has been filled with imperfection. Your story may be even more than mine of times and places where maybe the church has let you down and hasn't lived up to this for you. And Jarrett's actually gonna talk all of next week about when the church falls short of this vision because here's the secret, every church will. And every church has in some way. But when I, in this moment, when I look at those four characteristics, I don't just see a list of things the church does or a list of programs the church offers, I see some of the deepest desires of my heart. I see some of the things that I most long for in the world. And when she is at her best, that's what the church can do. When she's at her best, God uses the church to meet the world's most fundamental needs, to give people who are wandering, the people who don't feel like they have a place, to give you a place to come where you are welcomed just as you are. That the church can be a place where you belong, where you're in community, you're in deep relationship with other people. And while you're doing that, you're contributing. You're taking part in taking care of one another's needs, in taking care of our city's needs, in taking care of the world's needs, and at the same time, on every step of the journey, every part of you starts to grow. Every part of you starts to change from the inside out. And all of that can and should happen in and through the church. In other words, I just don't think there is no place like the people of God. Ultimately, I just can't think of another place that seeks to do and be all of those things, to truly serve the whole person, to truly meet the world in all of its messiness and all of its brokenness. And again, the church certainly does not always get this right, but when it does, lives get changed. When it does, our world is better. And I know that because I've seen it. I know that because I've experienced it and it hasn't been perfect. And if we are going to reach for and go after this calling together as Soul City Church, if we're going to do this thing, I believe what it takes is normal, everyday, messy and messed up folks like me and like you. It takes us saying yes. I actually think that part is really, really simple. And so do me a favor. Look at those four characteristics again. Look at those. I wonder which one of those you maybe need to say yes to today. I wonder what your next yes, what your next step might be so that you and so that the people in your life can experience more of God. Again, this is so awesome to be in this room. So many of you have already said yes to that invitation to come. And I don't want to sell that short because that is no small thing. It is no small thing to come to church. I have had weekends, I have had weeks in my life where it was all that I could do to just get myself through those doors. 
And there's some of you where the bottom kind of fell out in your family or at your job or somewhere in your life. And it took all the courage you could muster just to be here. That's significant. I've had those weeks. And I hope that while you're here, God meets you in a powerful way. I hope we see you all the way through this series. And I also want to press into those of you who are watching online, specifically those who live in the Chicagoland area. Maybe your next step is to start coming in person. Please hear me. There is nothing wrong. There's nothing bad about, you know, experiencing church in this way on a live stream. But if you feel safe, if it is within your power, maybe today you can make a commitment. You can say, hey, I'm going to start coming again, or I'm going to start coming more consistently in person. Because it's when you take that step, that actually sets you up to connect. And there there are some of you here where, where that's actually the yes you need to say today. Because you feel like I have felt so many times in my church journey, you feel kind of anonymous in this place. Every Sunday you kind of walk in, walk out, you maybe say hi to the greeters, but that's sort of their job, you know. And they love you. And they actually want to connect with you. But we want so much more for you than that. And more importantly, God desires more for you than that. He wants you to experience life-giving relationships. And this is still one of the best places to find it. And so if that's where you're at, will you take that step of connection today? And I'm going to share with you exactly how you can do that here in a little bit. So stay tuned. Because there's others of you, you feel that tug that it's time for you to start contributing. You've maybe been feeling it for a little while. I want to get more involved. I want to start serving. I want to maybe begin a generosity journey here. I'm no longer content just being a spectator. I want to be a participant in the good work that God is doing. And for those of you who have, and those of you who continue to take these steps week in and week out, you know, you know that when you do these things, that's when you start to see change in your life. You know, your life is evidence that when you say yes to the invitations of God, you begin to experience the transformation of God. Every time I have said yes, in big ways and small ways, every time I've said yes to God, God meets my yes with love and he meets it with life change. Every single time. Sometimes it's small, sometimes it's big. But as Jarrett posted it to Instagram earlier, I DM'd him. I was like, you stole my message. I have never regretted a yes to God. I've never regretted it. And not only do you start to experience change, but the people around you start to experience change through you. That's the cool part of it. Hear me when I say this, this whole series, this whole search for church thing, I wanna be very clear. This is not an advertisement for church. This is actually so much bigger and so much more important than that. This is about God's desire and design for how he longs to transform the entire world for good because our God longs to bring hope to the world. He longs to bring peace and justice and the reconciliation that our world needs. God wants to make all things new and he wants to do that through people. He's committed to doing it through people like me and like you who are willing to say yes when he invites us. And so what I wanna invite you all to do right now, if you're in this room, I just wanna invite you to stand to your feet really simply. You were there before, we can do it again if you're able. Stand to your feet because right now we, we're going to sing a song together and it's a new song that we have not sung here. And this song is all about calling on God to build his church. 
And I wanna be really clear about something. When we sing that, when we sing build your church, I want you to remember one thing. When we sing build your church, we're not asking God to build a building. We're not asking him to build an institution or an organization. We're not asking him to build a Sunday service. When we call on God to build his church, we're asking, we're praying, God, do your good work in the world. And would you do it through us? So I wanna invite you now to sing this song with us and to make this your prayer. God, build your church, do your work and do it through us. Let's sing together and let's pray together.